in my mind, there were certain things that had come out that were pretty interesting. Last week, the Black Vault did a deep dive into the highlights and the lowlights of the recent hearing on Unidentified Anomalous Phenomena, or UAP. The hearing will come to order. For some, that hearing was quite the letdown. Arrow has found no credible evidence thus far of extraterrestrial activity, off-world technology, or objects that defy the known laws of physics. Others hang on to the hope that the hearing represents an important step towards all of us knowing the absolute truth behind the UAP mystery. At least, maybe one day. You'll see it uh, come through the top of the screen. There it goes. And then the camera will slew to follow it. But my guest today was actually there. Reporting live from the U.S. Capitol, I'm getting ready to go to the congressional hearing on UFO at the Russell Building. Just want to check in and say hi to everybody. Good morning from Washington. In the audience, listening intently to every word we all heard, but also he was privy to what happened when the cameras weren't rolling, both before and after the hearing itself. Dan Warren, who runs the fifth pillar of Emphasis TikTok channel, updating and educating more than a quarter of a million of his subscribers on the UFO issue, steps into the vault to talk to us about what he learned at the hearing, what he took away from his one-on-one -on -one interaction with Senator Kirsten Gillibrand, and where does he feel we might be going next. Stay tuned. You're about to journey inside the Black Vault. That's right, everybody. As always, thank you so much for tuning in and taking this journey inside the Black Vault with me. I'm your host, John Greenwald Jr., creator and founder of theblackvault.com, but also the janitor, the scanner, and pretty much everything else uh, that you can fill in the blank with. I am the entire team here at theblackvault.com. So thanks for tuning in. I've been looking forward to this, this conversation uh, with Dan Warren. Dan, first off, thank you so much for taking some time and, and talking to me and my audience today. No problem. Thanks for having me. And you need to update your intro because you're everything but the gardener. <laughs> That's right. Uh, yes. For those who don't know, Dan and I had to delay a few minutes because unannounced, my gardeners who show up on Tuesday showed up on a Monday when we're recording this and they were outside my window for quite some time. But uh, but yes, other than the gardener, that's true. Uh, I do everything else but the grass. So uh, I've been looking forward to this conversation with you because I've talked about you before on this channel. You do some very entertaining pieces. Anybody that uses uh, social media when it comes to Twitter, I've seen you a lot in, uh, but most notably your TikTok following. You have uh, really, and rightfully so, kind of garnered this this following, this movement of looking to you for updates, uh, for information. You do some great pieces. So I want to start there because people see these pieces online. You're the man who creates them. You're the, you're the host of them and you, uh, you produce these things. Tell me how you got started doing that. So I basically was looking for the easiest path to success that I could find when it comes to ufology, because 
Um, it's hard to make documentaries. Uh, setting up a podcast is also difficult. I didn't know anything about AV or recording, so I started tinkering around with what can I do. And I found out that TikTok had all the tools necessary for you to be able to use your phone to start making content as poor as it was at the time that I started. So it's definitely uh, allowed me to learn and hone my craft as I've progressed. And I've actually learned different software packages along the way. Um, but it was me wanting to start to contribute to the conversation in a meaningful way instead of just consuming content and consuming information which I with, with my videos, I always have to thank the people that are providing the research that allows me to more or less have a backbone for what I'm covering in my videos. I always like to add context context to the in, information I'm presenting. That's But someone is always providing me an article that I'm covering, and I try to contextualize it and add background information to it, and also just make it easier for people that are not familiar, that are not deep into the UFO topic like we are with why this information is particularly significant to me. Um, and so people tend to enjoy that. It gives them a little bit more of an insight from a UFO nerd's perspective on the situation. And um, it's also been a nice, interesting way to document my learning journey and my experience as things have kind of been unfolding in front of us. So it's nice to look back at what I thought was significant at the time and how it related to the moment that it was being released and why it was significant. And it also prevents me from having to remember every single detail about that moment and that article and that information that came out. I can go back and use it as a reference document more or less, but that's what, that's what got me started. I wanted to be, I wanted to become more involved. I wanted to be a contributor instead of um, solely a consumer. And that's why I started making these videos. And now I consider myself the fast food version of ufology. I'm just a quick, easy to consume hit of information. That's where I think you and I connect very much when it comes to this, because it was uh, quite a few years ago, I realized I, I don't do TikToks as much as I want. I did join. I've got a couple videos on there. You've obviously mastered that that craft and, and really kind of connected with the audience. But your views on kind of that power that it's not just about making content and getting a couple views or in your case, you know, like hundreds of thousands of people following you. Uh, but rather, it's it's a timeline of our journey that we're all trying to figure this out. And and that's kind of how I, I treat some Twitter threads that I do that a lot of times I write. I find myself writing them for me because I need to document it. I need to to figure out that in April of 2023, this happened might change next year. But there's this this literal timeline of our journey, figuring it out. And, and that's what I've always appreciated with you. I don't know where I heard that. It might have been just a one on one conversation with us or uh, quite possibly you posted that. But I've always admired that about you because you understand the power of it. Let me ask you, though, why UFOs? What drew you to making a difference in that world versus, let's say, any other that you could be making content on? Well, it's it's been my dirty little secret to be fascinated with UFOs since forever. Basically, my first love was megalithic structures. The pyramids drew me in. Um, but then I started looking at more mysteries in the world that we live in. And I mean, it's it doesn't take long for you to go, well, are we alone? And start looking elsewhere for information about that. So I started delving into it when I was young uh, without letting people know. And 
Um, it's been something that I, that's kind of come and gone over the course of my life where I've been convinced it's there's something there and then I'll, I'll, the pendulum will swing to the other side and I'll be convinced that we're all alone and I'll, I'll quit paying attention to it. So I've come, I've, I've left and I've gone, come back several times over my life, but, um, I do feel like it is the most historical moment that could happen in our lifetimes it would be this. Um, I always tell people like it's any event that has occurred in your past is going to be considered noise a thousand years in the future. Like they, they might, they're not going to remember nine 11 in a thousand years, unfortunately. So there's only a few things that would last the test of time. And I think if we find out that we're not alone, that's going to be one that's going to be remembered forever. Um, and it's not going to be repeatable. So I've, I've, got attracted to it for that reason um and i just think it's a very fascinating story um i've I, I tell people that this is my hobby this is what i'm into and it has basically replaced the the hole that sports filled for me for mm -hmm. a long time in my life like it's it's got all the behind the scenes drama it's got all the peaks and valleys it's like these hearings are kind of like our super bowls our nba finals things uh comparable um but i don't pay attention to sports anymore because this is in my opinion more of a interest there's a lot more interest in this like uh watching people play sports is great wonderful entertainment but this can be just as entertaining if you know how to look what to look for um and i always tell people that when i first got onto ufo twitter i was i, I went with an avatar i was Kodos from the Simpsons. Like I didn't want anyone to see my face. And then after a while I said, why am I hiding on Twitter? So I put my face on there and I'll tell you right now, it was like a weight lifted off my shoulders. It felt like I wasn't living a lie. And that, that gave me a little bit of, and after a while, like people just kind of accept you for who you are, what you, what you bring to the conversation. And so then I started thinking about it elsewhere, going to that next step. Like, could I put my face, in a recording in front of people. And um, I started out on TikTok learning how to do it and not posting anything on Twitter because I consider TikTok my target audience and I consider Twitter my peer review process because there's just as many UFO nerds or equal, equal if not better UFO nerds on Twitter than I am. So that was a very big step for me to take to start posting stuff on Twitter because I was afraid I was going to get something wrong and get annihilated. And every now and then I do make mistakes. Everybody does. Um, but it's, it's grown. It's actually when the feedback is positive or constructive, it's a big benefit to the process of improvement. And so I started posting on Twitter and it's just grown from there. The uh, there's a there's a couple things I want to unwrap there, but first I want to deal with something the audience is probably thinking about. And when I had joined uh, TikTok myself, motivated by someone like you, not as a not as um, you know a competitor, like I'm trying to compete with you, but rather I saw what you were what you were doing and what what you were looking to accomplish, and it was very motivating to say, hey, there's a whole different type of audience here. There's a different audience here. But I remember the reaction, and I want to get your thoughts on this. There's a lot of people apprehensive to use TikTok, and they're like, oh, you know, my information, it's all being stolen. Now, 
I've led a fairly public life for, for quite a couple decades now. So to me, I kind of don't really think a lot about that. You know, I mean, I hate to say it, but it's just like, look, if, if they want to spy on me, if they've got spyware on my phone, I guarantee I'm probably being spied on anyway, not to sound paranoid, but if that kind of stuff happens, then it's probably already happening. So why do I care at this point? I safeguard what I need to safeguard and go from there. Uh, what are your thoughts on those concerns or have you even heard them? I mean, do you do you get that um, apprehension to to join TikTok from other people that may find out about you from this show or on social media other than TikTok? Do you see it? And what are your thoughts on it? So I guess there's that's two different there's two different parts to the, an answer for that question. One is there is absolutely as a 40 plus year old man stigma associated with telling people I'm on TikTok. Like that is that usually is met with laughter and what do you do dances? So that's <laughs> yeah, one that's right. aspect of the answer. Um, Wait, but do as you? far as just like to, just to clear that up Dan, do you do dances? I, I've done one with it, had really? my kids. I must have missed it, that. It was the one when the preliminary assessment on UAPs came out. I did a little shuffle. I did the old, That's uh, right. the old white man point point squat squat type of a dance. So <laughs> yeah, nothing nothing to music, but it was just a, a a moment of expression. But as far as the safety aspects of it, I'm like you. I'm not a cybersecurity expert. I have multiple devices. I have vulnerabilities that could be exploited. I'm sure. I don't know how to stop that. I am not going to be able to. So if, like you said, if someone's going to come for me, they're going to probably succeed if they are good at it. Um, do I think that TikTok is particularly um, concerning? I don't, I don't have that concern with them collecting information that's critical to me. Do I think TikTok has the ability to influence the American population in ways that they see fit? that the United States would prefer not to influence their youth. Yeah, that's where I think the concern with TikTok is, is the algorithms that put certain content in front of the uh, manipulatable minds of our youth. So that's, to me, a bigger concern than them uh, seeing whatever they want to see on my phone. Which I don't have a lot to hide. So I, I, I don't like if you if they did hack me, it'd be very boring. Yeah, I uh, I kind of am in the mindset as I'm 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 not that important for anybody to really yeah. care, you know, like if they want to log what I'm searching for or whatever. It is what it is, you know, that like, there's a point where you have to relinquish some of your privacy. I hate to be in that mindset, but in some of this, you do other 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 things. I just think like, look, the conspiracy takes a hold in some of these privacy issues. So what really is a concern is like here and then people turn it into this. And at the end of the day, I just feel like for me personally, I'm just not that important. Nobody really cares, you know, uh, well, that they're I'll, not I'll say this. If if I get hacked by TikTok and they say, hey, this UFO guy got um, we're going to expose this UFO guy. It's going to be like the biggest street cred on UFO Twitter ever <laughs> because they're going to be like, he must be close to the truth. Yeah. And then they're going to put you at the top of the algorithm. So you'll be uh, you'll be dancing I, away to, to all sorts of people. Uh, no such thing as bad press. That's right. That's right. Um, you said earlier there was kind of when it comes to your thoughts on UFOs, you obviously follow this a lot, uh, doing the different stories you were talking about, people's either sending you articles or you discovering other things, doing these pieces on it. So you, you, you pay attention. 
but you're on a pendulum. You know, sometimes you believe, sometimes you don't believe, uh, just to kind of quickly summarize it like that. Where are you right now on that pendulum swing? Um, in my last video, I where I went to Washington, so I guess it wasn't my last video exactly, but I, I basically laid out where I'm at. I said, I have UFO disease. I want to know, but I don't know. I have, I suspect there's something to it. I think there's something to it. The Black Vault has convinced me that there's a U.S. government cover-up of something that we can't quite put our finger on. So there's something there. What it is, I don't know. Um, I'm hoping that this isn't all one big psyop that's been going on for 70 plus years. I don't see how that's possible personally. Um, I, I believe there's something, but I just can't, I mean, I, I think there's something, I suspect there's something, but it is hard for me to say, I believe that it is factual because I know that I can be wrong. And that's one thing that I wish that more people would bring with them to the conversation about the UFO topic is I could be completely wrong. I got to keep that in the back of my head whenever I make a statement or I listen to someone else's statement. They could be right. They could be wrong. I could be right. I could be wrong. So uh, if I feel like the conversation would be ben more beneficial to everyone if we could all just admit that we could be wrong. Does some of your motivation come from any experience that you've had? Uh, no. no so unfortunately, just... I... Curiosity. I feel like I'm one of, yeah, I feel like I'm one of those people that they're not interested in. Like there's mm -hmm. nothing, um, I, I, there's nothing special about me. I'm just a regular dude. I'm just a mechanical engineer mindset my entire life. Um, I've never seen anything, um, paranormal or supernatural. Mm -hmm. I just don't think I have, if that is a trait that some people have, and others don't, I'm in the other category that doesn't have it is what I would suspect until, in the other until proven otherwise. Yeah. The catch all uh, other bin. Yeah. Yeah. I'm in the catch all other bin also, but I'm also surprised to hear when somebody is so motivated, they don't have an experience to share. I'm in that bin, uh, but it's always surprising, you, you know, to hear that you had mentioned that you went to Washington uh, for those who didn't see it. I did a deep dive on the most recent April 2023 UAP hearing. Um, and during the course of that deep dive, I went into the highlights, the lowlights, you know, some speculation. Uh, it was a, a lot of fun to do. But when the camera flipped, I had pointed you out actually in that video uh, simply because you went there and wanted to take part. So let's switch gears to that. What drove you to uh, I guess both literally and figuratively, but uh, drove you to make that drive, go to Washington, D.C. and take part? Um, it's it's just a organic growth in my journey into the, researching this topic. So I, I started out consuming content. I decided to take that step forward and start making content. And I basically make content about other people's work, other people's research. I do, I do my own and try to pepper it in, but primarily I'm, there's people that are making news and I'm reporting on the news. So I felt like this was an opportunity for me to actually become someone that starts making the news, witnessing the news. And so that's what pushed me to do it. I'd like to do more stuff like that where I'm uh, not just at my house, making videos mm -hmm. uh, and editing for hours. 
I'd like to be more actively involved. And, and I've had people reach out to me and ask if they can help me along the way. And the, the thing I've said to every single one of them is, I don't know where this is going. I don't know what I'm doing, but I just want to be involved in what's going on in the conversation and anything that is happening that I could become a part of and, and witness firsthand and, and help, I would be happy to do so. So that was what motivated me to go to Washington is I knew I could do it. I've, I've kind of been planning this for, or telling myself that I could do this for quite a while. And then the, the moment finally came and I was able to actually jump on it and take advantage of the situation. So that's what took me to Washington. Really briefly, how does that work? I mean, do you like have to register? Do you just show up at the door? Do you go to Ticketmaster? I mean, how does it, how does it work if you want to attend one of these hearings? So first thing I learned is there is an address code. So that's one thing you don't have to worry about. I dressed up in like a blazer and slacks and a tie and people showed up in shorts and sweaters. So you don't have to worry about that. Uh, but when they posted the hearing, if you look at the bottom of it, they do post a location, a room number. Mm -hmm. I think there's four different four different congressional buildings that surround the, the main Capitol building. And there's a key that will tell you which building it's going to be in. And you just show up in the morning. I think they open at 7 or 7.30, go through the metal detectors and you're in. Like you just get so, in line. So there was no late. like, hey, just a heads up. My name's Dan Warren. Here's my driver's license number. I'm coming. You just literally physically show up and that was it. That's it. You just go through security and then you wait in line. And what I read in the frequently asked questions section of the uh, Capitol Building Visitors Guide is that they were going to make you check anything that had batteries before you entered the hearing room. That didn't even happen. We were allowed to bring our phones, our computers, everything in with us. So I I was shocked by that aspect of it. I thought it would have been much more restrictive. Um, and I thought they would tell us like, here's what we expect from you as a member of the audience, be quiet, be polite. And none of that. They just said, come on in, take a seat. They'll be in, in a minute. And it shocked me that it was that easy. And it shocked me that there weren't as, there were as few people as there were because it's so easy, but that's one of the reasons why I wanted to go to show. So I could turn around and show people this isn't as difficult as it appears. You can do this too. So I want to talk about the audience size in a second, but what if there was a line so long you didn't get in? Did that thought cross your mind? Like there's only X amount of seats. Um, you're making this drive. How long did you drive? It was a nine hour drive. A nine, a nine hour drive. Kudos to you, by the way. And so you show up, um, did, did that thought go through your mind? Like, oh, God, what if I don't get a seat? I mean, you'd think that a UAP For hearing weeks. would be busting out the door. Yeah. I mean, I thought about it every day as I was planning this whole thing out. Like, I, So that's what got me up early in the morning on the 19th to get a line or get in line as early as I possibly could. So I, I've also heard I, I read a intern's um document on how to attend a hearing before I went. And she said, there are people that are paid that she said, it's usually old, old guys that will wait in line and get paid so that other people that are busier can come and take their place and swap within the line. So I was expecting to see some, uh, line hold place placeholders there. Yeah. Um, I thought it would be a, a decent line. So I got there as soon as I could. You uh, can't I, think I got there. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I got, I got up, uh, 
probably four o'clock in the morning, my time, which yeah. I, I lost an hour just traveling there. But I got there by before seven so that I could walk and I got there plenty of time. I was the fourth person in line. Fourth person. So yeah. for those who may have not have seen the deep dive or the photos that I posted, um, give us a quick rundown. Visually, you said it wasn't a whole lot of people. Uh, kind of describe the room for us. Well, there was a lot of empty seats, but what was the crowd like? Um, so the, the line formed outside and of the room itself. And there's a lot of people that go in and out of it prepping. And we didn't know if they were cutting line or whatnot. So that was always <laughs> a question I had as they were walking by and getting in the room. Um, but as time got closer, more people started showing up, including media. Um, there were some cameras with bright lights on them that were being used. Could not tell who they were with. Uh, I, I think one of them was from Asia somewhere. I'm not exactly sure. Mm -hmm. But but then they eventually let us in, and it was just pick wherever you want to see. They had, I want to say, five seats reserved for Kirkpatrick behind him, but none of them showed up, which is one thing that I was kind of surprised by. Is Were there names they, on the seats out of curiosity? It, it didn't have a name. It just had Kirkpatrick's staff or something along those lines. I can't remember exactly. That's a bummer. Um, we could have used those yeah. names. But it was those five seats were taken or reserved and then it was just sit wherever you want there was probably i want to say 24 seats in all that would have been available and it was not incredibly crowded you had elbow room if you wanted it i made sure to sit in the front row because I, if i'm gonna travel that far why not sit in the front row i didn't recognize because you didn't have the hat so i didn't and yeah. you usually have a hat on uh so it took me a second to recognize you in the front row uh, you said that there's a couple of news cameras. I was surprised there weren't more, but I'm also surprised to hear there were some because I didn't see them really in the pictures, if I remember correctly. I think maybe one in the background. Um, <clears throat> but did that surprise you just with your history in this field? Wouldn't you think that there'd be more media? Oh, yeah. I thought that this would be um, what, what I was anticipating was what happened after the first congressional hearing where we had all these uh, representatives being interviewed outside in the building afterwards. I thought that's what was going to happen, that, that if they weren't in the meeting, that they would be outside of the meeting after the fact. But then, of course, when you saw how few senators and that Kirkpatrick was by himself, there wasn't that um, inventory of senators to pull from to try to get quotes and comments and uh, sound bites from. So that was that was shocking to me. Was there talk about the lack of senators being in the room? Did, did you have the opportunity to talk to somebody else maybe that was there or in the halls about that fact? Because for those who don't know, there were two that were there, uh, Kirsten Gillibrand and Joni Ernst. Uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, but by the video, it looked like they were the only two that were there in the beginning. And then a third had showed up kind of in the middle, asked a question or two, and then left by the end. And that was, was Senator... That was Senator Rosen from Nevada. So right. she she showed up for two questions, then she had to go. And those um, were the only three that you saw. Correct. Was that and surprising Kirk, or out of the ordinary in, in in what you were hearing or seeing? Um, I don't know a lot about congressional hearings. They're typically very boring, in my opinion. So <laughs> I haven't watched a lot of them. So it's this one was what tickled my fancy. So I was paying attention to it, but I don't know if that's normal or not. I also, uh, the um, question that I always had 
during the meeting was, well, what just happened in the closed session hearing right that preceded this? Because it was it delayed the open session by about 30 minutes or so. Um, and I've also heard since then that uh, Senator Kelly was in that one, but he didn't come to the open hearing. And I also wonder if there were other senators in that one or Kirkpatrick's staff that tagged along with them to that one that didn't make it to this, this second one. And if that was uh, an impacting factor on why there were not as many senators in this one. I'm curious to your thoughts on that because, because, you know, we want that room full of senators asking questions and so on. My just very quick take, and then I want to throw it back to you, is that I think it was strategic to have the classified hearing prior because in the first one, 2021, we as the general people, we the people were able to see what sparked either Ronald Moultrie or Scott Bray to say, oh, we can't do that in an open setting. That'll be, you know, we can go into more of that in the closed session, you know, and we heard that quite a few times. So we get to see like what the juice is just to kind of put it bluntly here. We had it the opposite. So you guys were sitting there waiting for the open hearing. The classified one happens, whoever showed up and I can, I mean, I would hopefully safely assume more senators were there, but those senators represent you. They represent me. They represent the people. They want transparency Yet they only show up at the classified hearing. They weren't there to do any type of media interviews, big or small. They weren't there at all. Is that concerning to you? It is for the sheer fact that it makes me concerned that they don't have Senator Gillibrand's back. Like if she is the chair for that entire subcommittee and she deems this subject, this topic important enough to hold a open congressional hearing uh, along with a closed for them not to show up, it's just a sign of support for her is what concerns me about it. I don't know how concerned they are about uh, pleasing the UFO community, but to me, it's like a camaraderie you should have with your coworkers. If if she thinks it's important to be there, I would think that everyone would want to be there. If it wasn't for Joni Ernst, it would be it would have been a very lonely meeting for uh, Gillibrand. And I know that she there were 16 senators that signed a letter of support for funding Arrow fully just a few months ago. So I was hoping some of those guys would show up because it seems like in on writing and paper, there is support for the Arrow office. There is support for the UFO and the UAP investigation for the government. But when that doesn't translate to butts and seats, it is concerning. Um, that that was my take on it. I don't, I don't know if you, you read it, if you read it another way. Me, uh, no, and I and I appreciate your thoughts on it because I, I more was concerned that, look, being you had mentioned UFO Twitter, like the UFO, we'll just use that as a general term. We all want the UFO talk. We all want that possibility. Like, what are we dealing with? Is it extraterrestrial? For me, I I'll, I'll I I deal with it two ways. One is very much that I love the UAP stuff. I love it. I dig it. I eat it all up. Uh, it, it's, it's one of my favorite things, but I also try and step out of it and look at it from an outsider's perspective, just like, like remove your, your fascination with UFOs, no matter what way you look at this, it's a national security concern and that there should be some level, some with respect to the, the classified national security stuff, but some level of transparency. That's what politicians have been 
talking about. So that transparency to the general public is more so what we all should want. Skeptic, debunker, believer, or on the fence alike, we all should have a little bit more transparency. So the way that I looked at it was the fact that they didn't care, the majority of the politicians, with the exceptions of those who showed up to the public side, they don't care about the transparency part. You know, and and that I'm not sure how much that bothers me, but that bothers me uh, just simply because there is that T word being bantered around a lot. Well, we want the government to be more open. Well, be there in the public hearing to bring that transparency to light, because in my opinion, Kirkpatrick was not pressed at all. Um, That's not trying to be disrespectful to Gillibrand, Ernst uh, or uh, Rosen or Rosen. Uh, I don't know how to Rosen. So. Uh, those three three senators is not meant to be be insulting, um, but but let me ask you if you agree with that statement because I took away at least from the video that Kirkpatrick just had his set statement and he was reading it, and then he had some <clears throat> points that came out during some questioning, but he was never pressed, and and I would think that if any senator cared about transparency, number one they'd show up, but number two. Uh, those that did show up would have pressed a little bit harder. Did you get that impression that there was a lack of that? So, so the, yeah, I definitely thought there was a lack of any pressure being applied to Kirkpatrick. Uh, there weren't a lot of follow-up questions related to the statements that he had just made. It was, it was kind of like, Hey, I'm going to move on to the next question. And so that was one of the things I considered occurred during the closed session is that they got question. They got a little deeper. They pushed back a little bit more. And then they said, all right, let's talk about what we're going to, how we're going to handle this open hearing. And if I had to describe the relationship between Kirkpatrick and the senators, I would consider it along the lines of, Hey, I'm you I'm kind of your boss. I'm going to have you, I'm going to call you on the carpet. We're going to have a conversation, but I just want you to know, this is just a friendly, um, as Jimmy church says, we're just in my room on the couch, uh, having a conversation. I'm not going to, I'm not going to put you through the ringer. We're just going to ask you some questions, show us some information, and then we'll move on. And this is just part of the process that we're going forward. forward with. And that's the thing that I keep going back to is, was this hearing just one more small step in a larger, in a larger plan? Um, as we saw yesterday, Rubio and Warner just released some information or sent a letter to SecDef Austin and DNI Haynes that echoed some of the same conversation points that were brought up during the congressional hearing. It makes me wonder if they said, Hey, we'll have this hearing. We're going to ask you about title 10, title 50. We're going to ask you about transparency with the public. And then the senators that weren't at the meeting sent the letter so that it'd be a, a war on two fronts towards the SecDef and the ODNI. To, to get their attention to, to address those particular things. So I always try to look at it, take a few steps back and look at the situation instead of just a pinpoint, look at it as a shotgun approach or, or a linear progression of dominoes falling um, towards a, a bigger goal. With the hearing itself, obviously people like me only saw the the, the, the beginning with Gillibrand kind of calling it to order and then the end, thank you so much, and then the camera clips. You obviously have a different perspective. You got to see the walk-in and as, as kind of maybe dry to, 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 as that might sound, I want to ask you about that. Was Kirkpatrick seemingly wanting 
to be there? Did, did he interact with the audience at all? Was there any sign of him being not forced? I mean, that, that, that's the word I keep using when I describe his, his hearing, is that it was forced, that he, that he had to be there, that he didn't want to be there. Uh, that he just had to go through the motions and that was it. That was my takeaway. But since you saw all that other stuff, what was your takeaway about his demeanor? Uh, he beelined to a seat, didn't acknowledge that there were any people in the audience, um, which, and, and then never turned around to look at us or anything. Um, and when you contrast that to how Gillibrand entered the room, entered the room, it was 180 degrees because I was expecting her to do the same thing. Like, hey, I'm just going to go in here and take my seat. But she came in and greeted everyone, said, hi, thanks for coming. She was very warm and inviting. And it gave me a feeling like she does care about the transparency with the American people because she cares about this uh, topic. She cares about our involvement in it. And I, I definitely got the feeling from Kirk, Kirkpatrick that he wants to talk to officials within the government and he doesn't care much about <laughs> communicating with the, general, the, the public at large. When you so you have a video, you interviewed Senator Gillibrand. Was that after the hearing? Correct. That was afterwards. And we haven't said it yet. Tell everybody how to get to your channel so they can see that. I'll also link it if you're watching on YouTube. Uh, just go ahead and in the description below, you'll find links to uh, to Dan's channels and, and Twitter and stuff. But Dan, for the audio version, uh, go ahead and give that out. How can people find that video and your your content? So basically, if you look up Fifth Pillar of Emphasis everywhere but twitter you're gonna find me um on youtube it's fifth pillar of emphasis instagram uh TikTok as well at twitter it's hey look over there and look is spelled with a u because someone beat me to it um but that's generally how you can find find me it's just the fifth pillar of emphasis and great and again all those links are below in, in the show descriptions now you had interviewed senator gillibrand after the hearing how did that come about um I waited my turn. I waited patiently. Um, I felt like one of my roles as being a um, level-headed member of the audience was to make sure that I was paying attention, taking notes, be appearing alert. I was trying to make sure that my that I was representing a um, professional type of image for the UFO community because we know that there's the fringe element out there. Um, I tried to make sure I was making eye contact with Gillibrand and smile because there's a lot to be said about just smiling in general. There's a lot of angry looking faces in the crowd, unfortunately. Um, but I just want to try to make sure that it, that she knows that I, I, she, I, she has my support mm -hmm. and do so by sitting there and wait. Um, but then after the meeting broke up and they stopped recording, some of the other uh, members of the audience spoke up in what I would call a uh, non-tactful manner to get their information across to them. And I didn't think it was very a very professional way to handle the communication. Um, they were basically upset that there is no current way, no current mechanism to relay information to Arrow about their knowledge and what they know and videos and things along those lines. So it kind of got to be a little bit raucous but as I say in my video, I got to applaud uh, Senator Gillibrand because she handled it with poise and grace. She definitely um, wasn't taken back by the way that they were approaching her. She was agreeing with them. She said, 
you're right. There should be a way for that information to be known to this committee. And that's what we're working on. That's what we're moving forward with. And then they wanna... started just to bombard her. Yeah. And I don't want to jump in on you, but I just, just for the audience who doesn't know, I, and myself included in this, you're talking about audience members that were sitting there with you that when she was done with the hearing on the video anyway, when I was putting it together, you can hear a voice come in right when they kind of like say goodbye. And it seemed like somebody was shouting a question. So that's what you're referring to, right? So she closes the meeting, essentially the video cuts and people chime in from the audience. Correct. And they're yelling over that room and the table at her. Correct. I'm, I'm only laughing because that does sound really incredibly rude, but I don't know what's standard in these hearings either. So is that what they were doing? Yes. So the eye contact that I had been making with Gillibrand turned into me closing my eyes and shaking my <laughs> head for like about a minute straight. So that she, I was like, oh man, I feel so bad for her and Kirkpatrick right now because this is like, the exact reason why I suspect they don't want to be part of this community. They don't want to have this conversation because like, it's shocking to me that people want like the the little bit of time that they had with these people. They wanted to tell them everything, what they were doing wrong, how, how they should be doing it, that they've solved it. Like, and it's just like, man, that's just your opinion on what this is. That's you. Like, and I'm sorry, one pixel on a, in a big blue sky is not proof of anything, no matter how dramatic the event was for you. It's just not evidence. It's not data. Um, but they, they just don't have that in mind. They, their emotions get into it. And, um, but uh, getting back to how I got finally got to interview her, I waited my turn until she basically had gone through and listened to people, which was something else I applaud her for is she definitely let people feel heard. She looked at their videos. She asked for their information. She distributed it to Kirkpatrick. And then I more or less like kind of tapped her on her shoulder when it was my, when I was close enough and said, Hey, I'm just a citizen journalist. I don't have anything to tell you because you guys are the ones that are doing the research, Mm -hmm. but I do have some questions I would like to ask you. Is it okay if I interview you uh, real quick? And she said, Oh yeah, let's do it right now. And like, without missing a beat, she was ready to do it. So that's when I was able to take a selfie with her, of course, to show my kids that I was hanging out with a Senator and then make the, do the interview, which I wish I had asked better questions, but I was very nervous. Um, I want everybody to watch that video. I'll make sure I link it, but can you give an overview of what you did ask and kind of paraphrase what, what her responses were? Um, I asked her basically how she thought the hearing went and what, uh, she thought the outcome of it, how, how she liked the outcome of it. And she said that she thought it was a good hearing that a lot of valuable information came forward and I wasn't ready to hear it at that time. But at, after time has gone by and I've listened to some analysis of the hearing and gone back and watched it myself, there is some, what I would consider valuable information that was included in it, the hearing. Um, we of course didn't get everything we wanted, but there are those few breadcrumbs that came out of it that are beneficial and she hit on those so she she discussed those in particular um and then i asked her if there were any questions that she wished she could have asked but didn't get a chance to and she said no i got i got all my questions out and that's the one i wish i had asked something a little bit different because of course she got all of her questions answered because she got them answered in the uh closed session do you think um, that we'll do you think that we'll ever find out 
when it comes to that closed session, what ultimately she was told. And, and again, um, and, and if I could quickly preface it, the reason I say this is you've now been there. You've seen how it seems like she wants this transparency. Do you think that there's ever going to be light in that in, in, in that arena? I feel like the only person that could get that information is that John Greenwald guy who's really good at FOIA. Like he's <laughs> able to pry information out of the government like no one else. I don't think they're just going to be forthcoming with it. I don't think we'll ever see meeting minutes, but I think that there's a chance that we'll, uh, you tell me, is there a document produced, a transcript produced from those closed meetings that would potentially be something that could come forward? I, I, well, I, I will tell first off, thanks for the, the vote of confidence there. I mean, I will definitely try uh, my hardest, you know, congressional hearings and, and uh, congressional documents, letters and all that are, are not uh, open to the FOIA. So anything when it does, uh, when it deals with the Congress is off limits, unless they make it public. Uh, the exceptions are when they actually send letters to the government. So uh, or, or to an agency, I should term it that way. So <clears throat> let's say Gillibrand writes a letter. You can you can FOIA that once it hits the DOD because then it becomes a a record that is ultimately FOIAable. Uh, the responses are as well. Uh, there's a review process, so sometimes they do communicate in classified, you know, classified means. Um, but for those curious and yourself included, when it does come to this hearing, even though the transcript or whatever would likely be considered a congressional record, if 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 you were to ask me, I don't know what the legality would be. So that would be off limits. What is on limits would be Dr. Kirkpatrick's PowerPoint presentation, any material that he utilized, uh, videos, photographs, anything that was utilized there uh, is open because that's a Department of Defense product that he took to Congress, not reversed. So that would be foyable. I've already filed a case for that, as you can imagine. So what I'm going for is all the material utilized by Dr. Kirkpatrick in that closed session. So to go back to your question, there's ways to, to, to kind of see it, but kind of not. And we know the, the level of secrecy is, in my opinion, deepening when it comes to this. So it may be a long shot on whether or not we, you know, we, can, we can actually get our hands on it. Uh, but I'm definitely trying, so we'll we'll see what happens there. Um, hopefully that answered your question. Okay, uh, this is a good segue to speaking of getting your hands on things. After okay. the meeting, I accomplished one of my goals of traveling up there is I was able to grab Kirkpatrick's nameplate off of his space and bring That's it home with me. <laughs> So That's I've got awesome. a souvenir from Kirkpatrick himself. He didn't sign it for me or anything. He was he was out of there pretty quick. He stayed around and uh, was bombarded with questions. I, I wasn't close enough to him to hear what he was saying, uh, but he was out of there before I even got a chance to get close to him. Well, before I ask you about Dr. Kirkpatrick's quick exit, uh, where are you keeping that in your house? Where have you, like, um, d does your I've family got... appreciate as much as, as you do this name? Tag? Oh no. Oh no, <laughs> they don't. Um, I've, I've got, uh, got a few square feet of closet space in one of my daughter's closets because I'm not, I'm, I am don't, I barely have any real estate in my own closet. So I've got a whole bunch of UFO books, um, in, information and trinkets that I've uh, obtained. Like I've got the NIM aviation badge that Shannon was able to purchase and provide me with uh, one of the full size. It's like a, a decent size 
So I'm just, I've got a little collection of UFO memorabilia and books and that's where it stays right now. That's awesome. No, that's, that's very cool. I saw your photo of that. I mean, those, those kinds of things I always uh, geek out over. So I appreciate you showing that. Um, going back though, to the hearing, Dr. Kirkpatrick, uh, as you noted, quickly left. What was there something where he got up, turned around and saw some of the other individuals kind of passing out some flyers? Did, was there any inter interaction or was he just gone? Um, he was there for a while. So the, the way that it worked is those guys started chiming in as soon as they said, thank you for the hearing. And they hit the gavel. He raised his hand. He started talking. <clears throat> they probably had a conversation. Like they probably said two minutes worth of um, words at the center. You're talking about the audience and, members. Yes. The yes. The audience okay. started talking for about two minutes straight. And Kirkpatrick never once turned around. He just kept his head forward and down a little bit and didn't acknowledge that it was happening, I guess. Um, but then eventually after Gillibrand started to have a conversation with a, with the audience, got up and started interacting with the audience Kirkpatrick joined her by her side. And so they were sharing information at that time. And like I said, I wasn't close enough to be able to hear what he was saying or how much he was actually talking, but, he didn't have the warm and friendly and inviting uh, aura that Gillibrand had. If I've seen some pictures, you don't have to, I don't want to make it seem like I'm, I'm trying to trash the individuals that were there sharing the information. So I'm trying to find a, a better way to ask this question. Uh, what I saw from a few photos that were snapped, they may have actually been your photos. I'm not sure if they were, uh, but essentially, you can see the flyer, and it was like ancient aliens related, right? I mean, that that's what she was being given? Correct. It, it, I think it was called Infinite Astronauts or something like that. It wasn't ancient aliens like the TV show, but it, it tied the past to the future. And once again, I feel like it's just one person's opinion on what's going on. There was a lot of opinion being in what I consider opinion. They considered fact that was being thrown at Kirkpatrick and Gillibrand and um, alien scientist, Jeremy Rice was actually there and he mm -hmm. did a pretty interesting thing. He started to talk about, here's some locations that would be beneficial for you to look at and to investigate the blue room at Wright Pat or, uh, and back, back to not Bechtel, Battelle. Battelle, Battelle. He's been, yeah, I know he's really connected to the Battelle Institute being connected to all of that, tying back to uh, Anthony Bergalia, which uh, I've got maybe some differing views on that, but I know. So B Battelle that, that he was saying, let me, let me ask you this. And, and the, I mean, we all saw the video, but since you were there and along these lines, they're getting all this information from the general public. Do you feel by the tone of what you saw before and after the hearing that Dr. Kirkpatrick and even the Senate would have the access to do and accomplish what they need to do? So the general public is throwing all this stuff at them. Do you think that they would have the access and go, okay, this is like what I want to run away from? Or do you think that they... Um, potentially just don't have that access. And I know that this is just speculation, but I'm curious to your thoughts. I feel like the UFO community is a tsunami of information and they've got a teaspoon of capability and, and funding to, to drink it. 
And so they're, they're drinking from a fire hose at the moment. And I don't think that they have the ability to track down every lead and you could in, and I, I'm basing that on the fact that they're even saying, Hey, I appreciate you sending these whistleblowers or these people to testify to us, but we need you to start to prioritize them because in my opinion, what that said was, yes, we've heard a lot of information and there's a lot of leads that we're having to follow because of the testimony. But man, that's a lot of information to tackle all at one time. Like you said, we, he won't, we want him to answer 70 plus years of questions right now. And that's just not going to be possible. Um, that's where I think we do need the GAO, the general accounting office to, to help out because that's what they have been doing for years. They have the mechanism. Uh, they have a better mechanism that's already in place and functional instead of Kirkpatrick having to create one that is functional, we could utilize existing systems, just like the, um, the sensor systems that we have all around the United States right now. We don't have to create new ones to look for weather balloons, to look for an anomalous phenomena. We just use the existing information in a different way, and it would save us bajillion dollars. Were you surprised? I'm guessing you saw the first hearing right i mean we all watched that the first one of the 2021 i took off of work for that yes yeah it's a holiday so yes so all right i gotta i gotta tell this one story sure uh um my family is kind of oblivious to what's going on as far as ufos go so on the first hearing which was that may 17th or may 27th um i take my kids and two neighborhood kids to school every morning. So I made sure to stop at a gas station. I was like, go in there and get yourself a sweet treat and a drink and you can have it at school. It's in celebration of this so that when in the future, you can look back at that time that I took you to the gas station before school and remember that's what it was about. So I'm hoping to plant that seed in those kids at some point in the future. No, that's, that's awesome. So when you watch that hearing, I was surprised when we all watched it that the Wilson Davis notes came up uh, and that they were uh, submitted to the congressional record. And then obviously the nuclear installation encounters, and I'm kind of paraphrasing here, obviously, but uh, those were were talked about and Moultrie and Bray were like, well, we, we don't really know what you're talking about, but essentially they would look into it. Fast forward to this hearing, you're there. None of that uh, came up. Now, I'm going to focus in on the Wilson Davis part uh, first and foremost, simply because despite my personal views on it, right? So I'm putting that out, out of this conversation. You would think that they would essentially address it even in part, even in brief to just say, look, I mean, there's a, there, like you noted, there's just a, an avalanche of information out there, some true, some not. And they looked into it. Were you surprised at all that none of that came up in the, the, the public hearing at all? Or do you feel that that was just bunk and they just kind of ignored it? Well, I was hopeful that would be something that happened is that it would be a continuation of the previous congressional hearings. And they would carry over some of the items from it to this new one. But it, this one seems to be, in my opinion, a very standalone um, hearing that didn't necessarily relate to the conversation that occurred previously the the biggest difference between that one and this one is they figured out how to use the pause button on the video much better <laughs> this go around 
Um, so they learned from that, but they didn't talk about anything else that was discussed that I, that I could put my finger on from the previous one. And that's why I'm, I'm trying to, once again, step back and look at it. And I wonder what's going on in this big picture. Is this just one step in a process and they don't want to continue to go back to the first one. They're trying to progress forward. Maybe that's why they didn't discuss it, but I would have sure liked to have heard more information about it. Yeah. And I, I as well. And, and that's why I wanted to ask you was, it seemed like if, if that, if that Wilson Davis story is true, I mean, you're, you're talking about a humanity changing story if they could confirm, confirm that. So for them not to even bring it up, you know, because again, there there wasn't much that was quote unquote submitted into the congressional record in that first hearing. That was one thing. So you would think that if they went to that length to say, Hey, look, if you don't know what this is, they put it in the congressional record, they're asking and they did nothing. Um, that, that kind of interested me, uh, also speculation, but would you think that something like that would have come up in the classified setting? Uh, yeah, I would think that it would. And I, I think that there is, I'm going to say Richard Dolan connected a dot from actually, I, now I think about it, it was Jacques Vallée that connected a dot associated with the Wilson Davis, uh, memo notes that it was actually the comptroller general from the GAO office. That was the guy that was went and found the pro the program and audited it before uh, Wilson was able to start to ask question and knock on doors. So that's where <clears throat> I think whoever had was assisting writing the NDAA originally, it was going to have involvement from the comptroller general from the GAO office involved in the invest in the historical investigation. And after I heard what Jacques Vallée said about, I think it was browser that was the, um, Charles Browser was the comptroller at the time who they suspect made it into the program and got the tour and got the briefing about it, that they that position was written into the NDAA for that very reason, that they knew that that was who made it into it in the past and that there would be records of that at some point. So that's why he was involved. But at the last minute, they pulled the comptroller general out of the legislation and they just said that the GAO was going to support them. So that was the big question I had going into it was, are they going to talk about the GAO office in relation to the Wilson Davis notes? Because that would connect further connect the dots for for that. And didn't hear it. Don't know if that was discussed in the um, previous hearing, but I would I would suspect that would be something in writing, not so much at a hearing that it's too complicated to really discuss when you have a whole bunch of other questions, you've got to ask about procedures and funding and things like that in, in the closed team. Yeah. And you and I briefly talked about it. Uh, and that's thanks to you. I'm going to pull up the name myself. Um, the, the, let me see here. The current comptroller general started in, on March 13th, 2008, which is a pretty big gap and, and motivated by your question to me that was off the air uh, I filed a case. Now, first and foremost, the GAO, not sure if you know this, is actually not subject to the Freedom of Information Act. Uh, they didn't know that. Yeah, so they they are 
they have their own instruction that goes to GAO records. It's part of the, the Code of Federal Regulations. It's for, I think, Section 81 something. I think, Section 81. Um, but Gene Dodaro is the current Comptroller General from 2008 to, to date. And motivated by your question, because I had never done it, uh, filed a case this morning to kind of sift around and see if that current Comptroller General is involved at all uh, with the, with the uh, current conversation. So thank you for kind of motivating me to do that, because since the GAO is not subject to the FOIA, sometimes you forget about them, you know, and I, I just don't have them off the top of my head to go, oh, I'm going to file a FOIA to the GAO because you can't. But they do kind of honor what they call honor the spirit of the FOIA, and that's that Code of Federal Regulations statute that they fall under. And then some of the other ones that aren't uh, subject to the FOIA, like NORAD, uh, because they're a binational command, they have their own internal structure to honor the spirit of the Freedom of Information Act. But you just have to cross your fingers that uh, you're going to get it uh, so using their real, internal real quick statute. on that. Mm -hmm. um, are are there emails foyable if it was to someone outside of their department? Yes. And so that's what I'm kind of sifting around. <clears throat> so I have like a standard keyword list that if they're talking about anything even remotely close, the standard keyword list should come up with it. Um, so and, and that's what I had filed on with the GAO because it searches attachments. Uh, it searches uh, the body of the of the email and then the subject line. So essentially like if there's any talk of UAP or unidentified aerial this or um, uh, unidentified anomalous that, like my keyword list will hopefully catch something. And I've used that quite a few different times through FOIA worded, worded you know, essentially the same way. It's just a different, uh, different law. And then you, you go for that information and see what happens. So I would think that if there is any connection whatsoever, something will get triggered. And then that just kind of branches off into 12,000 different other, you know, areas if you do get something. So, uh, so hopefully, hopefully we'll, we'll find something. And the connection with the Wilson Davis thing, I'm glad you, you, you brought that up. I think I've vaguely heard about that in the past, but never really focused in on it. So I'm glad you brought it up and yeah, we'll see, we'll see what happens, you know, if, if there's anything within the, the GAO. There has been UFO stuff in the past, as as you're likely aware, especially with the Roswell stuff, where they very briefly in the beginning of the GA, the GAO report and investigation, this was years ago, uh, but when they looked into the Roswell incident, that essentially they said the majority of anything related to this era and this incident was destroyed. But then they go on to like place a conclusion anyway. And it's like, well, wait a minute, if you've destroyed the majority of the evidence, how can you sit here and tell me that you actually, you know, have a conclusion? Uh, so I don't want to get off on a tangent there, but the GAO does serve, you know, quite an interesting purpose when it comes to this conversation in the past. So hopefully they will so in the future. Okay. Well, so. I'll, I'll, when you post this, if you put it on Twitter, I did make a video about this specific topic with uh, Charles Brow Bowser. Okay. I'll, tag it on there. And I do highly recommend that people check out the Richard Dolan uh, discussion of it because he goes into great detail about it where I can't in the three minutes that I try to keep my videos in. Yeah, no, I got gotcha. you. Um, Dan, if I can ask you one more question uh, before I, I let you go. After experiencing what you did and, and my compliments to you for getting you know out there and interacting with politicians, that's awesome. Uh, I hope more people follow suit. 
now that you've had a little bit of time to digest it, um, to hear what you did and to process all of that, if you could ask Senator Gillibrand, who, who were to call you tomorrow and say, Dan, you can ask me two things, or Dan, if you have two questions that I can pass on, uh, what would they be? Pick whichever, whichever way you want. What would those two questions be? Uh, hmm. No pressure. Yeah, yeah you put me on the spot a little bit. <laughs> um, I guess I would probably have to go with the reverse engineering. What has she heard about that? Uh, that that's a that's a game changer in my mm -hmm. opinion. Uh, if if there is material, she did mention, or um, Osvaldo Franco did get a quick interview with her where she did mention several things about what they have. Mm -hmm. um, I feel I don't feel like she said that we have that we have objects that we have things. I feel like he asked. He in, interjected that and she kind of just let it go, but she didn't reject it outright. So that would be one thing I would want to ask her about is, do we have materials? Do we have a reverse engineering program that is actually doing something with those materials? Um, and then, of course, I would like to know, um, let's talk about satellite imagery. That to me is something that is has resonated with me since the uh, John Ratcliffe comments that came out on the Maria Bartiromo show. Do we have images from satellites of these things that would be without a doubt, non-human uh, of non-human origin? So those would be my two questions. Uh, I'm, I'm sure I'd come up with better ones if I get a piece of paper and pencil in front of me, uh, but that's what I got shooting from the hip. I always like putting people on the spot there yeah. at the end. All right, all right, all right. But I get to do it to you. All anytime. Oh, right now. Go ahead. Right uh, now. Did you right now. now? All right, let's hear yes. it. Yes. All right. So uh, we all know that you uh, blindly accept the truthfulness of the Wilson Davis documents, without a doubt. <laughs> <laughs> yes. uh, that being the case, uh, what, what would it take for you to see, for you to go, okay, I now fully endorse and accept the uh, events that are depicted in these notes? What evidence would you have to see for, for because I know that your stance is I can't you're like me you put everything a lot of things in the anecdotal bin and in the interesting but not uh, I can't prove it it's not fact yet what would it take for you to to make that switch on the Wilson David Davis documents it's a it's a great question I am that type of person that needs to see to believe um what I what I think has happened where I, where I get a lot of hate mail, we'll call it that, uh, for not believing them, is that there's a little bit of truth in these smaller points, so the bigger ones have to be true, right? So like the Oak Shannon thing, and credit to Jay from Project Unity for tracking him down getting the interview. I have no problem with that kind of stuff. I love it. I've openly complimented Jay for doing that, but it doesn't convince me just because Oak Shannon had the health problems at the time. And those were depicted in the notes. Uh, I've been around the field for a long time and, and seen, in my opinion, quite a few hoaxes as we all have. And for me, the anatomy of a hoax is you have to entwine certain factual tidbits into a, a bigger document. So you use real people, you use real events, you use real things that you can verify peppered in with fantasy. And I feel 
that that's what we have here is a work of of fiction and fantasy with real things uh, woven in. So when the Oak Shannon revelation came out, I'll be honest, it just didn't surprise me at all. It's like, well, I'm not accusing him of making it. So this will probably come off wrong no matter how I term it. But it, it could just mean that whomever did, Eric Davis or whomever, was involved in that little niche group that seems to have known each other at, around that time, interested in all these things, and that could have been uh, woven in. With that said, what would it take to convince me? Well, you need something to support these programs going to the, to the private sector. Because for me, for Admiral Wilson to be, as the story goes, and I'll get hate mail for this, uh, a, given a NRO, the, the famous NRO document, and that gave him a list of keywords, uh, those that believe in the Wilson Davis notes being all genuine and depicting the notes now say that that document doesn't matter. And I was surprised at that shift because prior to that, that document was in most of the retelling of the story. And then once it was proven, in my opinion, proven to be false, I thought I would get the hate mail like, no, this is a real document. Here's why. It was like they were convinced it was fake but it didn't really matter to the story. So that the goalpost kind of shifted. It's like, well, this gave Admiral Wilson the list of keywords. Uh, then it was proven to be a hoax. And then all of a sudden it was like, well, that document doesn't matter. Well, it's like, okay, we'll fill in the gap. How did Admiral Wilson find this, you know, this program? Those types of things need to be resolved for me to start considering this is nonfiction, that this is a real event that took place. Uh, why would someone like Admiral Wilson pick Dr. Eric Davis to tell this story to uh, in a car. Of all the people inside Admiral Wilson's Rolodex, uh, no offense to Eric Davis, but that's the one that he goes to spill all the beans with. Um, again, those types of things don't make sense. We can all, all speculate, uh, and, and some may be, you know, plausible, uh, on on why this unfolded the way it did. But again, there's really no supporting evidence. Plus, you have Admiral Wilson saying it's all poppycock, I think is what his word yeah. was. Maybe it was something else. But regardless, you know, he's saying that it's wrong. So so I, so I want to let me interject real quick, please. because I, I believe that even if um, Wilson said, yeah, those are real notes that really happened, I still don't feel like that would be enough for you to be convinced that the program that they're describing actually work like i don't feel like that's tangible enough information um with him with if eric davis and wilson said yes this is a discussion that we had i don't feel like that would be enough proof for you to say well the, obviously there's a uh, extraterrestrial reverse engineering craft program yeah. going on it, so there's got to right. be something above that conversation that would be proof of what, what would have to come out um of of that program for you to be convinced uh, yeah, I, and I don't think you're you're too far off, but I will say it would be a different conversation for me when it came to those documents if Wilson kind of fell down and said, you know what, I was lying with these poppycock statements. Uh, it, it really did take place. I will absolutely shift my tone on the documents. Will I, again, then just run to, okay, then there is an alien uh, reverse engineering program. Well, no, not really, because it's quite possible that 
Wilson was misled. Now, again, this is all just kind of speculation and a hypothetical. So before anybody, you know, really reams me a new one through uh, the comments below, uh, just remember, like, we're, we're playing a hypothetical here. But if but if Wilson came out and said that the conversation took place, I would absolutely change my tone and take it a little bit more seriously. But then we have to fill the gap of uh, where is, you know, number one, where is it? But number two, why would Wilson be told at all? Let's just say that the J2 was completely denied access to these closed programs. In my opinion, the way classification works is you would not get confirmation of those closed programs, that they're able to fly him in and put on a game of charades and say, look, I'm sorry you wasted your time, but we got nothing here. You know, like, here's a tour. Here's the back room. You know, here's the side room. And and do the tour um, and put on a game of charades. So if they really wanted to deny those levels of personnel, of government officials, of politicians, whomever, fill in the blank, they want to deny them that, I think there's ways to do it. And so for them to then admit to Wilson... And then say, no, no, but you're still, you know, denied all this. Then he gets so angry and then goes to Eric Davis. And of course, I'm very much nutshelling the story, but that kind of stuff, it just doesn't make sense to me at all. Um, and those are the types of gaps. So again, in fairness, I would absolutely change my tone a bit if Wilson were to say that, but then we would have to dig in further and, and we would have to wonder why that would transpire. Because to me, when you talk about secrecy, you just don't give a confirmation if you want to keep the knowledge from somebody, you know, and and, and you just completely omit the truth 100%. And by Wilson knocking at your door, I don't think that they'll say, okay, well, you're right. We do have this, but we're not going to give you any access or any type of confirmation whatsoever. So I think that there would still be digging, but in fairness, I would I would change my tone. I'm I'm eager to see if under oath, if Wilson will give a certain answer and if Dr. Eric Davis will give a certain answer. But the fact that in hearing number two, what was submitted to the record in hearing number one was completely devoid in the public hearing. Um, to me, that's not a good sign. So we'll see how it plays out. I'm eager yeah. no matter what, but yeah. I, I just think it's not a good sign. So I'm, I'm not going to stop chewing on this bone just yet. Um, All right. With, with uh, and you're the, okay with time? I don't want to. Yeah, wanna yeah, keep, I'm okay. fine. Um, I'm actually doing some household chores, so you're keeping me from oh, actual good. work. Yeah, um, yeah. But I, um, sure your wife is going to love that. <laughs> she won't watch it. She won't know. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, good. I'll send her a link. <laughs> but the let's say we never get the confession of truth from Wilson. If you get... If you're uh, honoring the FOIA request to the GAO office comes back mm -hmm. with documentation that a conversation depicted as, as far as Charles Brower goes, that echoes a similar scenario that was depicted in those Wilson Davis notes, would that also in turn change your tone or change your approach to it? Would that two points of information instead of one single point, would that change your approach? Uh, I, so off the top of my head, I would say, yes, turn me into a believer. I mean, well, I, we have to see exactly what, what comes to light. Uh, and I'm writing it down because obviously I was talking earlier about the current comptroller general who I know is different than who you're talking about. But if let's say 
yes, I file a case to the GAO. They honor it. They release something that coincides with the notes. That to me, and by the way, my guess is those documents would not have been released before because there's not a whole lot of people that do open records requests to the GAO. And I have not seen anybody talk about doing a records request to the GAO trying to authenticate this. So if there are, please, by all means, let me know. But my whole point here is if these documents have never seen the light of day before, this case brings them out. And then those documents reflect what's in the Wilson Davis notes. Absolutely. I find that 100 uh, percent heavier, like that they hold more weight than Oak Shannon had health problems around this time. Why? Because that's not public knowledge per se, but the niche group that let's operate off the assumption if it is a hoax or hypothetical, I should say, not, not, not assumption, but a hypothetical that somebody in that niche group uh, decided to, to, to create and fabricate this story, but entwine uh, some facts, then they could have just known that. But if you start getting into stories that really haven't seen the light of day before, but backed up by official records from the GAO, yeah, you got my ear. I mean, I'll say it right now. I'm not going to edit that out of our interview. If that comes to light and these documents had never seen the light of day before and they are in the Wilson Davis notes, you're going to pique my interest. I, I mean, again, it's that's not confirmation of an alien reverse engineering program, but you're one step closer to convincing me that these aren't uh, a work of fiction. So absolutely. And that is exactly why I think that the uh, Comptroller General was included in the original legislation that was proposed in the NDAA, because I'm convinced it's being ghostwritten by someone that has a lot more knowledge than a staffer for a senator. Um, to me, it sounds like there's Chris Mellon-ish tones yeah. hints to it. And if, if, the the hit the first hearing occurred they talked about submitting the wilson davis records to the this is me just speculating by the way i'm, I'm just throwing that out there they introduced them into the congressional records of the next revision of the ndaa did include the comptroller general so me connecting trying to connect the dots i feel like there's a reason that they put the gao office in the mix that they're kind of like an untapped resource that we haven't ever really thought about. I would have never thought about them until this recent round of NDAA stuff came out. How much of a role do you think Mellon, uh, Christopher Mellon plays in the the language? Do you think that, that he's kind of influencing the actual wording? Uh, I mean, it sounds like he is, but I'm just curious to your thoughts. Like, do you think he's really kind of, um, the puppet master, so to speak. I don't mean that in a demeaning way, but just kind of the one that, that really is influencing this, this verbiage. I, th I think he's, um, yeah, influencing it. So, so the thing that confuses me, just like almost everything with the UFO topic, I feel like if you look at it, you can see two different ends of the spectrum at the same time. There's part of me that's like, man, there's so much Chris Mellon language included in this legislation that's being put forward. It's hard to deny that it's him. And then I turn around and when they, when he puts out those, questions to ask the arrow director or questions to ask at the congressional hearing statements that that are not covered in the legislation it makes me feel like there's a gap there so i don't know if he is able to kind of nudge these people that are actually writing this legislation in a certain direction to say hey make sure you cover this base make sure you cover that base 
of it for them for him to then turn around and ask questions that I would think would be included in the legislation is confusing to me. But overall, if I had to put a, a your dollar bet that you like to put on things, I'm going to mm-hmm. say Chris Mellon's involved in the outline of the legislation that's being put forward. I want to reverse that question you asked me, if you don't mind. You said that if no. I find... I, no, no, no. Hold on. Hold on. Bear with me here. I got to go, John. Yeah. <laughs> now, you had asked... It's a great question. If I found something that coincided with the Wilson Davis documents, if it would change my mind, uh, and, and I stand by what I said, what if it doesn't? And And I'm kind of getting the feeling from you, maybe we should cover this part first. I'm getting the feeling that you feel the documents are legitimate, which I'm, I'm totally fine with. But just to make sure we're clear, do you feel they're legitimate? Uh, once I'm, I'm with you uh, as far as like, I do feel like the notes are legitimate. I feel like Eric Davis wrote them down. I feel like there was a conversation that occurred. But I also feel like what you stated earlier is a very common practice within the government where they do miss they pepper lies in with truths where it could be used as a um, misdirection for something else. What, what the right, look at the right hand while the left hand is doing something else. So I feel like there could be a distraction mechanism and that's, and I'm going to catch flack for this. It's like, that's how I feel about Bob Lazar. I feel like they were using him as something else uh, to cover something else. So I, I think that that's, could be ha- what's happening with the Wilson Davis notes. Um, I, this is a, once again, I suspect that they're legitimate. I think they're legitimate. I don't know. And it's hard for me to say, I believe that they are, but I want, I want them. I'm like Joe Rogan. Like that's where my, my judge, I, I don't trust my own judgment on these things because I do want them to be real. I want them to have um, a reverse engineering program that's hidden from us. That is now getting to the point where it's becoming exposed to the public. And then we're going to get a hundred years worth of, or 70 years worth of amazing information and data that comes rushing forward um, from the fire hose for us to drink out of uh, on this topic. Cause it's been held back for so long um, that, that that's what I hope. I, I, I just am not going to be able to sit here and say, I believe him hundred percent. That's exactly what happened. And that's exactly the program that was depicted where they lied to where they lied to and told was, was Wilson lied to. And he said, Oh yeah, we got this reverse engineering UFO program, but it's really about secret military tech that we're not going to tell you about. So that that's always going to be in the back of my mind. So if things don't come up via FOIA, then to again, reverse that question, would you still hold the same beliefs? Cause the FOIA gets trashed a lot by people. If it produces a result that confirms a belief, it's golden. If there is no uh, result produced to confirm that belief, it's the FOIA, it's tainted, they're lying, the government officials are all corrupt, and so on and so forth. So there's very, in my opinion, by some, not yourself, but by some, there's a very hypocritical way of, of viewing this. But again, to flip that question around, would it change your views if stuff just doesn't pan out? Uh, yeah, I would have to, I, I don't want to be so invested that I can't change my mind. And I, I feel like everything goes into that anecdotal bin until proven otherwise. So if, 
that's where the Wilson Davis documents are for me. It's anecdotal. It's incredibly interesting, but I can't put it into fact, the fact bin yet. So it's still in that anecdotal. And if nothing ever comes from the investigation, no information comes out saying that there's any truth to it beyond what we have right now, it's going to stay in the anecdotal. Just like I have to put all the videos that I see, just like I have to put all the witness testimony. I'm not there. I, I didn't, didn't experience it. I can't know for a fact that's what happened and that's what's going on. So I I would just have to, maybe I throw it away if nothing ever happens in the next 20 years, um, but I can't move it forward until something comes out. In closing, I, I can't tell you how much I appreciate your time. It's been a, a joy speaking to you one-on-one, -on -one and, and, and obviously we, we talk behind the scenes a lot. I've always enjoyed that, but to be able to bring you on the show uh, has uh, definitely been uh, fun for me. Are there any closing thoughts or motivational speeches you'd like to give, Dan, or anything uh, for those that are looking from the outside that may not take as much time as you or I in this topic and may even be getting discouraged about the hearing um, that you had just gone to, that it wasn't as groundbreaking as some of us wanted. Uh, what are your closing thoughts on, on, on that kind of stuff moving forward for people? Uh, two words come to mind, patience and kindness. Um, we, we have a, a strong desire to seek the truth, to learn what's going on. And the, the truth of it might be that it's not going to happen on our timetable. It's been going on for a long time. So we need to have patience. We need to have um, the grace that Senator Gillibrand showed with us. We need to show with them. We need to, to support their efforts. We need to do it in a manner that's kind and not overbearing. And as well as with communications with each other, there's a lot of, uh, anger that that pops up on twitter and other platforms around that uh, engulf ufos that is problematic and it's it's human nature that it occurs i i hope that people can start to disagree without despising each other that's one thing that i would like for people to to start to focus more on um but the the big thing that i would like to encourage people to do is go to the next congressional hearing if you can show support for the congressmen and women that are putting their reputations on the line by writing them, by calling them, by showing up and, and being a courteous human being, being professional, presenting yourself, which is a representation of the greater UFO community in a way that doesn't stigmatize us. Like that's, we're our own worst enemy a lot of the time. So if we could have a group of people that show up and act respectfully and say thank you and support the efforts of these people. That's what I would ideally like to see. And I think would help keep the momentum that we have going forward with the members of Congress. That's awesome. Dan, well said. I really do appreciate your time again and, and thank you uh, for doing so. Hopefully you'll come back and, and we'll, we'll have another round of discussion. I hope you're up for it. Oh, one, one more comment real quick. And sure. if you if you look at John Greenwald's text messages and Twitter um, conversations oh. that he has, but you realize that he does actually have a sense of humor <laughs> hidden behind all of that. His his tech tweets are funny. Like if you can <laughs> look past what you don't what you disagree with him about and start reading what, how he says it, there's comedy in there. You just got to be willing to accept. 
Uh, I appreciate that. Sometimes my sarcasm falls flat and people are like, it does. you really mean that? I'm like, you guys didn't realize that was a joke? Come on, we got to have fun. And most of yeah. them, if you look at the days, they always come on Friday. So Friday, I try and chill out a little bit, uh, be a little bit less serious. But thank you uh, for at least uh, acknowledging that humor that makes two of you. I think my mom's the only other one. So appreciate that, Dan. Thank you. Good company. I'm in good company. Yes, you are. All right. Thanks, Dan. You have a, a wonderful day. And thank you all for listening and watching. Make sure that if you do not uh, subscribe to the YouTube channel, you do so go to www.theblackvault.com slash live. That will bounce you to the channel. You'll get notified of any live streams or any new videos. And of course, if you are listening to the audio podcast version, a five-star review is what I aim for. I won't tell you what to do, but if you can, consider taking a few seconds and making a review there as well. That said, thank you so much for listening and watching. This is John Greenwald Jr. signing off, and we'll see you next time. 